mean, I've always been interested in nature. Kind of mother nature's perfect animal, you know? Seeing Nile crocodiles and being kind of terrified. Welcome to the Nature Talks podcast. Okay, so welcome everyone to another of our Nature Talks episode and uh, I'm very excited for this one today. And this is of course a place where learning turns to con uh, conservation. So today we have got someone who you know is going to talk, uh, talk to us about the cutest of all creatures, penguins. Uh, we have got Katie here. Hello Katie, thank you for giving us your time. And uh, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Katie. I am a PhD researcher in the UK and uh, my job is, yeah, I'm the cutest animal in the world, obviously. I'm a little bit biased. Um, but yeah, my, my main duties for my job is uh, to detect how penguins are adapting to climate change. Um, so that's kind of the, the overall question that I want to know, you know, how are they adapting and, and, and why? Um, but at the moment, I'm looking at something that's kind of a bit icky, I suppose, because I'm using uh, penguin poo samples uh, to analyse kind of how, how climate change affects the composition of their guts. Um, so no cuddling of the cute penguins at the moment. I'm more looking at the, the smelly, icky stuff. Um, but I enjoy that stuff just as much. So yeah, that's a, a quick overview of what I get up to. <laughs> That's, that's, that's very much amazing. I myself love penguins very much and I've only seen them in zoos, not, not one of them up close. So Katie, which, which species of penguins, we know that there are actually 17 species of penguins on Earth, so which one do you actually, what is your main research on, which species do you mainly research on? Yeah, so yeah, the amount of penguin species there are is actually kind of debatable. A lot of people argue about it. It's kind of anywhere from 17 to 24, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, but my research then focuses in and around uh, Antarctic species. So that's all the species that are living, you know, at the very south of the world, uh, in like the sub-Antarctic islands uh, or on the actual like Antarctic Peninsula. Um, so things like emperors, uh, king penguins, uh, I've been working on some chin straps lately. Um, so all of those kind of cold species penguins are the ones that I specialize on at the moment. So Kira, of course, what do you think about, um, before we of course get into much of a detail, what do you think most people think about penguins that you think it's wrong or it, it, it is just not how penguins are actually are? Like what do you think that, okay, people should not think of penguins as this way, but in this way that I see them? Well, I mean, the number one thing, I suppose, is that everyone thinks that penguins uh, live at the North Pole. <laughs> that, that's the number one thing I see. Like, so when people ask me, you know, oh, I, did, do you get to go, um, you know, up north to go see them? And I was like, well, you know, if I went up north, I probably wouldn't find any. Um, so obviously we've got our kind of our two hemispheres. Um, you will only find penguins in the Southern Hemisphere, plus, you know, I think there's one species which is like the, the Galapagos penguin that might just pop over the equator every now and then. Um, but yeah, penguins as, as a group of animals are pretty much restricted to the southern hemisphere. Uh, and that's the number one thing that I see that, that people don't know. Um, so yeah, you'll never see a penguin and a polar bear hanging out together. That's basically how I like to think about it. That, that's great then. And, and, and so um, now of course talking about penguins. How do you think penguins are, let's say, different from other flightless birds like um, ostriches or emus or um, kiwis? So how do you think they are different and like why are they fun to study compared to other birds? 
Yeah, so I suppose one of the reasons why penguins are so cute and why people love them so much is because, you know, when we see them uh, on land, they look so awkward. Um, and the reason for that, of course, is that they are not adapted for living on land completely. They live this kind of life of two halves where they're on land, but they're also in the sea. Um, they can actually spend like up to about 60 to 70 percent of their total time in life in the sea. Um, so a lot of the time we don't really see them. And when they're in the water, they are so perfectly suited uh, to the environment, you know. So a lot of um, birds that need to fly have hollow bones, uh, basically. Uh, instead of having all that kind of spongy material that we have in their bones, it's completely hollow, hollow in most birds. Um, and that is an adaption for flight. So, you know, they have lighter bones, so there's kind of less drag on them so they can fly. Uh, but obviously penguins don't need that. They're not flying anywhere. Um, so they've actually adapted to have um, the opposite. Their bones have kind of solidified again. Uh, as they've adapted towards um, swimming in the ocean. Um, so that's something that I find really interesting because, you know, it's kind of, uh, you can kind of see their evolution progress. Like they must have had hollow bones at some point because they were birds, you know, that could fly once upon a time. Um, but as penguins kind of took this route of, of going towards the sea, then they actually adapted back into kind of the, what we would put the regular kind of bone structure. Um, yeah, there's so many adaptions. They have this thing called countershading that I find really interesting. Um, so obviously they have kind of their, their predators coming up from below. Um, so their bottom, their fronts are, are white, so they're kind of you know camouflaged against um, against the light from the sky. Uh, but then they're black on their back, so if something's looking at them from above, then they're also shaded again. So I mean, it, it looks really cute to us, like they're wearing a little tuxedo or something. Uh, but these animals are incredibly adapted to the environment that they're living in. You know, they're, they're pretty much perfectly suited to, to where they're at, which I find fascinating. Um, yes, exactly, because I actually heard that they have got pretty long, pretty big uh, feet and long claws to actually hook in the snow and the rocks that they live in. So, Katie, of course, what do you think is that, let's say, the misconsumption that's going on around people talking about penguins, the general people like, let's say, myself or the audience here, misconceptions well yeah i suppose that you know a lot of people see uh see penguins in zoos and and you know see them in these big flocks and everything's happy and you know everything looks great but a lot of people don't know that half of our penguin species on the earth are actually threatened with extinction i think that's something that has glazed over a lot that people kind of um, kind of see these animals in zoos and they're happy and everything's fine and don't actually think about maybe what's going on in, in wildlife populations. Um, so yeah, penguins are, you know, they're facing a lot of threats uh, at the same time. There's not one particular thing that you can pin on that is causing population decline. Um, but there's so many different aspects of, of threats that are occurring for these, um, for these populations of birds that they're actually the second most threatened threatened seabirds uh, in the entire world, this, this group. Um, and that's definitely a misconception I see, you know, people don't don't really um, understand that part of penguins, I suppose. I suppose when you see the, the documentaries, there's so many of them all in these big crowds that you think, how could they possibly be threatened? Um, but they are, yeah. Yes, exactly. I also believe the same, because the main thing is people see animals in the zoos and they're like, okay, because they exist in zoos in such huge numbers, they must be not threatened and how are they threatened by by, by, by so and such such reasons. So Katie, of course, what 
I'm not sure if you have seen some of my work, but what I work on is basically on desert animals. So completely different to that cold environment one. And my thing is basically on insects and all these different different creatures that are found in the UAE. So it's it's about climate change. Um, we know that it's happening. So before we get to that climate change point of view, what do you think about biodiversity loss? How is biodiversity loss, let's say overfishing and all these things, affecting the, the penguins in general? Yeah, so I mean obviously we know the kind of we, we've established the link between climate change and biodiversity loss, but you know there's a lot of indirect effects of climate change as well. So things like krill. So, you know, penguins uh, rely on, on, you know, marine species for their diets. They don't really eat things on land, which is why they spend so much time in the sea. Uh, and I think what we kind of don't realize is, is how those cascades kind of affect penguin life. So say if there's a, a decrease in, in um, like fish stocks or in krill stocks uh, in the southern oceans, uh, that's going to then in turn affect penguin populations. Um, so, I mean, I suppose we think about the South as being not as biodiverse. Like if you think about something like a jungle, there's millions and millions of species of species everywhere you look. In the South, it's kind of a bit more depauperate. There's not as many kind of species going on there. Uh, and what happens then is you have these very kind of complex ecosystems that really rely on each other. So there's less species, but much more reliant on each other for, say, food, for, for predation, you know, for symbiosis, things like this. Um, so if there is kind of biodiversity loss at any of those key components within these food webs, it really has like a cascading effect on the whole ecosystem. Um, so these kind of, uh, these colder environments, let's say, are, are kind of quite vulnerable to things like climate change because any biodiversity loss at any level here is going to have such a significant impacts on the rest of the ecosystem. Okay, yeah, of course, um, I think the most audience that are here will be interested in what about your experiences? What is your most favorite experience with, with penguins? And, uh, well, yeah, so a lot of the work that I do is, is actually on their poo. Um, so I, I basically have all of these poo samples in a freezer um, and I, I take them out and I extract the DNA from, from the samples uh, and then um, I sequence it. So I basically, I'm trying to look at what is in their poo. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is because we think that climate change is having an effect on things like their diets, um, their parasites, um, the bacteria that's living within their guts. We think that all of that is changing with a changing climate. Um, so to be able to sequence things like so complex, like you know, understanding say the food web of a penguin just from a sample of its poo, uh, I find that extremely fascinating, and it, it's something that. I feel like everyone can benefit from learning about it. You know, we always just think, well, poo's disgusting. I don't want anything to do with it. But, you know, we can be investigators. We can learn so much from this, you know, yucky stuff. And um, that's really worth looking at. So that's been my favorite experience so far. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just so cute. I think what's not to love. <laughs> now, Katie, of course, how do you inspect these uh, penguins? Let's say they, they poo as well. How do you actually inspect them? Is it like, does it require any microscope or any particular tools or something? Hmm. So if we're looking at something like um, like for detecting species within poo, we actually have to use uh, molecular techniques. So you can't really see a lot of this stuff under a microscope. And the reason being is because it's either been eaten by them or the organism itself is just it's not visible to the naked eye. Things like bacteria, you know, we, we can't see bacteria. 
Um, so we kind of need methods to help us. Um, so we, yeah, we use molecular methods. So that's basically where we kind of take out the DNA, like the genetic code of the organisms, uh, and we sequence it. So it basically means we kind of we put it through this machine where where the organism is detected at this, at this really small level, um, and we can get strings of their DNA, and that's how we identify them in the samples. Um, but doing kind of these like poo investigations or whatever, um, there is the chance to to see some stuff actually in with our naked eye things like parasites you know if, if an animal has something like a like an intestinal worm you can actually see that under a microscope which has been really really cool for stuff like science communication uh you know finding out like what's in food samples under a microscope it, it seems gross but it can be really really cool as well well that's of course amazing um and uh so before we get to the, uh, the climate change point of point of side I have, of course, read and I have heard that the, the, the both note and sword poles act as, you know, let's say mirrors or act as, you know, the white shirts for us and they, and they reflect the heat and radiation of the sun's energy. So, how do you think the meltdown of that ice will affect the main population of birds? Because I've actually read pre, pretty much research reports of, I believe, gentoo penguins being affected because of the ice is melting and they are finding more of the environment covered with rocks and, and such, so it's getting difficult for them to track. So. What do you think about climate change? Does climate change affect penguins in general? Yeah, so you're, you're completely right that the, the two poles are kind of feeling the effects of climate change a lot more than perhaps we could be in, in, in the more temperate regions of the Earth. Uh, and one of the reasons being is that they are, they're icy. Um, so it's kind of like this negative feedback loop where warming is causing more warming. Um, so the, the North Pole is, is kind of known for, for being affected really badly. Uh, but the South, because it's a little bit more remote, not as many people live on the Antarctic Peninsula. In fact, no one lives there all year round. Um, we're kind of lacking in a lot of data for what's going on there, but we do know that there are you know, huge consequences of global warming for the South. Um, so for penguins in particular, um, a lot of the Antarctic species actually rely on ice for breeding. So something like the emperor penguin, um, they exclusively breed on sea ice. Uh, and sea ice is, is known as very vulnerable to, to warming. Uh, so you can kind of think about the consequences here. If there's less ice for these penguins, then there's less room for them to breed, uh, which means their breeding success gets lower year on year. Um, and as warming increases, then you're decreasing the area as time goes on. So you're kind of seeing declines across the board in, in these kind of Antarctic species uh, because their available habitat is kind of decreasing. Now, of course, um, Katie, speaking about climate change, now, how, how do you think, of course, we can help to you know save the penguins by you know small steps that i can take that all the audience can take to you know save the penguins save the antarctica from this damaging damaging sort of system that is currently happening because you know biodiversity loss is great and climate change is much of more much more of a bigger threat so what do you think that we can do specifically small steps to save these unique creatures yeah it's it's really hard to to give big steps to the individual because i feel like the responsibility for climate change is not on one person's shoulders alone uh, but in taking those small steps uh, i think just increasing our awareness of, of the issue at large is such a great thing um in terms of what you can do as just you know a regular person like me like you um Eating seafood that comes from kind of well-managed, sustained fisheries uh, is sustainable fisheries is is definitely the, the number one thing that I would say. Uh, 
overfishing is a huge problem for species of penguin all across the world, uh, especially for those that are living kind of in those more warmer regions uh, where they're kind of fishing alongside all these, these big, massive commercial fisheries. So yeah, try, try to eat seafood from, from sustainable fisheries. Um, also cut back on how much plastic you buy. You know, it's such a small thing. It's such a small daily task that, you know, if you're shopping for groceries that you don't use a plastic bag to put your food in. Uh, it's small things that you maybe don't think have a consequence down the line. Uh, but when millions of people do it across the world, the effects are, you know, huge. Um, in terms of like long term actions you can take is probably to reduce your carbon emissions. I mean, we're all pretty much guilty of, of taking flights and using cars and, you know, our whole lives do revolve around fossil fuels, but taking the steps to kind of be conscious of, of what your emissions are uh, and, and ways of maybe reducing them uh, over the long term uh, is definitely something that helps penguins and just the diversity of life in general on Earth. So yeah, those are like, three things, but, you know, don't, don't get too stressed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course, there are many things that we all can do as individuals to save the planet. But we want to see how we can particularly save these cute, wonderful creatures in, in general. So, and, and of course, saving, of course, comes from uh, understanding. Do you think, of course, the best way, uh, the first initial step is actually we, we learn a bit about penguins, get ourselves, you know, interested in them, and then is that a big step, do you think, about that? A hundred percent. And obviously, so like when you're a, a kid, say you go to the zoo and you see penguins, and you're like, oh my God, these are the coolest things ever, you know, like keep that love for them alive. You know, like I think um, it becomes really common as, as you grow and, and, and work your desk job or, you know, life gets in the way. You're very focused around being human. Uh, and I think that a lot of us have kind of lost touch with the natural world around us, you know. Uh, if you really care about penguins, go out and learn more about them. Like there's there's so much to learn, that there's so much information on them out there, you know. Uh, there's a reason people love them. They are charismatic and cuddly and, and have these incredible lives. Like, you know, like if you think about the life of an emperor penguin just in the depths of Antarctica, like you can't get more kind of documentary worthy kind of lifestyles than that. So yeah, look at them, kind of see what's different about different penguins, see how they're adapted to their lifestyles and, you know, figure out why, you know, climate change might be affecting them and, and, and you know, ultimately then you will change your habits because you care. And yeah, learning is the best. <laughs> Do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course, I've seen it myself, of course. Um, I've had some interest in the natural world since the starting, but I think I've I think all of us actually are in at some point in the starting of our lives at our childhood. We all love the natural world. But the main question which actually appears right now is that how we lost that love for the natural world? Where has it gone? And um, Katie, of course, what about plastic pollution? Because I have um, read and I have seen um, that many different birds and insects and even, even, even squids and all these things feed on plastic. And it's believed that it's not because they are actually not having any clever brains to actually go and find the plastic, but it's basically because when the plastic fall in the oceans, the algae that grow on the plastic is eaten by krill. And the chemical produced, the methyl sulfide, is the same chemical produced of krill. So is it the same way that actually penguins get attracted to plastic by the smell they produce? Yeah, so there's kind of this effect with plastics where, you know, they these microplastics say, so like these are the bits that are coming off bigger bits of plastic. Like it, it is unusual to find you know, a, a plastic bag, say, in, in a penguin's stomach. 
Uh, what's not unusual is these really, really small plastics called microplastics or even nanoplastics. So what happens is there's kind of this, this plastic debris that's just streaming all over the oceans. Uh, and that gets eaten then by, by the prey of penguins, stuff like krill, like you're saying. Um, and then it, basically the plastic kind of makes its way up the food chain. Uh, so as these bigger animals kind of eat these smaller ones containing plastics in large amounts, then that then increases all the plastic in them as well. You know, so it's kind of this this uh, chain effect where like the higher up the food chain you go, the worse the effects can be. Um, but yeah, I mean, plastic also is, is really efficient at absorbing toxins from ocean water. So it, it's not just the plastic itself, it's also all the chemicals that come along with it that are getting into the systems, these, these ecosystem food webs. Uh, that's really such a humongous issue for, for penguins and for just for sea life in general. So uh, Katie, what is your main message to the audience and the people who will be watching this? What's your main message about penguins? our changing natural world, our planet, because I, I speak about a lot about climate change. But then exactly you have been researching on penguins, seeing the changes in, in their environment. So what is your message to them? What is my message? Uh, to young people, um, get into science. You know, if, if you have that passion for the world around you, science is, is just the place to be. You know, it's, it's where you can learn how to, you know, save the world as such. You know, it's, it's a place where you can be a student forever and always be learning about the world around you and, and, and perhaps how to protect it. Um, yeah, also, you know, advocate, always advocate. If you feel a passion for something like, like the natural world, like we're speaking about, uh, advocate for its protection. Things like marine uh, reserves, uh, things like, you know, like protected parts of the biosphere. Always try and, and get involved in as much as that as possible because your voice matters. So again, if you're fine with that, um, we have almost reached the conclusion. So before that, um, I will allow the audience to hold their mic and ask you questions. Are you ready for that? Very great that the audience can start speaking and asking their questions. Uh, let's animation is using his hand, so uh, let's animation. You can actually go and speak. Yeah, I have a question. Is my question is, what's the biggest threat to a penguin? The biggest threat. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a problem with uh, you know saying what the biggest is. That, that the main problem with penguins is that there's so many. Um, so say they they they're facing effects from climate change, but then they also have effects from overfishing. Uh, there's also pollution problems. There's you know problems with invasive species getting into their territories. Um, so they have kind of a lot of threats that are all kind of gathering together and, and causing issues for them. I would say probably the number one is, is going to be climate change. Uh, and that is simply because it has so many effects on other potential threats to, to their homes. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question? In the next feature, I've got actually raising his hand is uh, Mayank. Uh, Mayank, can you please go ask your question? Um, yes. Um, so you just spoke of um, sea threat to penguins, but my question was like on a more broader level: How does climate change affect the lives of penguins? Like, like you spoke of plastic, uh, but other than plastic, like carbon emissions or anything else, mm -hmm. like their uh, breeding cycles or um, their life cycles, like how does it individually affect them? Yeah. 
So it, it definitely depends on what, what part of the world they're in. Uh, like for instance, the Antarctic species, we're seeing a lot of problems where um, ocean currents are actually changing uh, as, as global sea levels are, are rising and, and warming. Um, so this actually does have an effect on the currents. Uh, and what this has done in some cases is it actually pushes the food further away from the peninsula where they live. So obviously penguins spend a lot of time in the water, but they also need land. Um, and, you know, in this case, then they can actually be pushed away from the land. Um, and you can imagine, you know, say your, your home is, is on land, but your food is getting further and further out to ocean. Um, they're getting tired um, and you can kind of see the effects, you know, that there's kind of issues with malnutrition in quite a lot of penguin species um, where they're simply just not getting enough food because they're having to travel much further for it. Uh, they're having to go out more often because there's less of it. Um, so that's a really big thing that we actually do see in a lot of populations. Um, in general, then with, with, with kind of warming climates as well, you know, for the Antarctic species, they're, they're actually, you know, they've still got their snow um, and most of them still got their ice. But if you think about penguins in kind of the, the more African countries, um, so things like Aries and the Galapagos and the Humboldt penguins and things like that, they actually build their nests on, on land. Um, and we're actually finding that um, there's a lot of nest abandonment going on. Uh, and we think then that, that, that a lot of that is due then to, to the heat that some of these penguins are experiencing. So it's actually getting too hot for them to stay on their nests because they're kind of not adapted for these really kind of heated conditions uh, that they actually have to leave their nests. So their breeding success is failing. But I could go on and on about effects of climate change for days, but I hope that's a couple that maybe you wouldn't have heard of before. Yes, um, it definitely does. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, the next, next I guess there are also other questions. Yeah, if you can please go on. Yes, uh, so obviously no one can go to the Antarctic and go to see Emperor and King, King Penguins, but uh, they are kept in zoos in small areas and they are trapped. So what's your opinion on keeping penguins in zoos for uh, the opportunity for people to see them? It's a controversial one. <laughs> I like it. Um, my opinion on zoos is um, I can't say yes or no. I I really appreciate zoos for what they do. Um, I think growing up, I loved penguins because of zoos. So there's no way that I could disagree with it. You know that they've always been one of the animals that I've been most excited to go see when I'm at the zoo. Uh, and I think that you know the educational benefits of having them in an area where lots of people can see them, especially children. Uh, is, is a good idea, you know, I, th I think it kind of uh, encourages kids to, to, to love nature and, and to, 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 you know, learn more about these little cuddly creatures. Um, in regards to kind of keeping trapped animals, I really would disagree with it. Um, so obviously zoos now are a lot more focused on conservation than they perhaps were, say, like 100 years ago. Um, so a lot of the populations that you see in zoos now are actually specifically breeded uh, or bred in captivity. Um, and they, they have good lives. They are very well looked after. You know, there's a lot of people on teams that do a lot of research into kind of creating the best environments for, the, for these animals to make sure that they live well. Um, so I, I would say personally that the benefits of having penguins in zoos definitely outweighs you know, the cost of it, like they, you know, I do think it's a really great thing. Um, but that is just my personal opinion. I don't know how everyone feels. <laughs> so, you know, no, I get our questions are over, but I have a question myself. myself. 
Now, what, what is, is the cutest penguin you can think of? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> um, I do. I'm a big fan of Gentoo penguins, uh, and the reason being is because the boys give the girls presents, uh, and I think that is insanely cute, and I love it so much. Um, but I love them all. It's like asking a mother to pick between her children, you know. That that's indeed wonderful. Now, what do you think about the uh, Tasmanian little penguins? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the the picture of the the two penguins holding hands that kind of won a photography competition last year. Um, but they uh, they they actually were little penguins. Uh, I love them. They are so cute. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, they actually are the littlest penguins as well. They're the teeny little things like this big. Um, they're they're so beautiful. I think a, a lot of people would have seen them actually as well because they live in places like Australia where there's lots of people. Um, so they're kind of popular ones, I suppose, in terms of the penguins. Katie, it was amazing, amazing speaking with you today. I myself learned a lot about penguins and all, all that they do. A lot of, they do a lot about the, for the environment and of course you know that the, the natural world is dramatically changing. It has changed for, for the past 60, 70 years and we are, we are seeing the changes right now. We may see okay that the penguins actually exist in the South Pole but we depend on it in many different ways. So it was great that you took us on a journey to exploring the penguin world, all those amazing cute little creatures, what they actually play and how we can actually save them. Before we leave, uh, we have got Let's Animation here wanting to ask a question, I believe, once again. I have a question about how do, question, uh, how do penguins breed while they're swimming? How do they what? Breed? Breed while they're swimming. Oh, I can't hear. Do you, can you hear Rafan? Uh, he said that how can penguins breed while they're swimming? Oh, okay. Well, they actually have to hold their breath. <laughs> so uh, penguins have lungs, like like us. Um, so they actually do have to hold their breath while they're under the water, uh, and that is kind of one of the reasons that they they dive at these really high speeds and they can dive pretty deep. Uh, but they can't do it forever. That's why they kind of live on land and in the sea. You know, but they do have to come up for air, uh, and they do have to go on to land to do things like like breeding and building their nests and things like that. So they kind of live between the ocean and, and the land. So yeah, but it was great having you, Katie, here today. Your, your work is amazing and all the things you're doing for the penguins and their um, investigating the pool and everything is it, it's absolutely amazing. It was amazing talking with you today. So for the ones who will be watching this on YouTube, uh, you can ask the questions here and I'll get back to Katie if I can answer it myself. And uh, it was amazing. And do as well, um, check out Katie's Instagram account. It's amazing. So thank you once again, Katie. I hope you have an amazing day. I had fun. <laughs> Another Nature Talk episode where learning turns to conservation, the main step to understanding about the natural world. Thank you once again, Katie, for joining us today. Bye.